Amen. Amen. Beautiful song, what beautiful truths to sing what the psalmist has said, that we are to shout to the Lord. He is worthy of all the praise that we could give to Him. I think some of our children down here at the front are making plans to get into the great University of South Carolina. They are ready for it. I try to be good, but I just couldn't help myself that time. <laughs> hey, my kid, one of mine was down there too, but um, I couldn't see her, so I don't know what she was saying. <laughs> uh, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, as we turn to your word, open up our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. Father, you want to do something in our hearts today. Not because this day is any different than any other day, but because you want to do work in our hearts every day. Father, especially when your church gathers together. Father, we gather to glorify you, praise your name, to tell you how great and glorious you are. But, Father, we also seek to worship you by allowing you to come into our hearts and work and make us into the people that you desire for us to be. So, Father, help us. Help us to give you full and complete access to our lives. Help us to have teachable spirits, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Music. Music is a fair and lovely gift of God which has often wakened and moved me to the joy of preaching. I have no use for cranks who despise music because it is a gift of God. Music drives away the devil and makes people happy. They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. I would not exchange what little I know of music for something great. Experience proves that next to the word of God, only music deserves to be extolled as the mistress and governess of the feelings of the human heart. We know that to the devils, music is distasteful and insufferable. My heart bubbles up and overflows in response to music, which has so often refreshed me and delivered me from dire plagues. So said and wrote Martin Luther, one of the stalwarts of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther lived in a day and time where biblical truth had been undermined and had been exchanged for teachings that were not in keeping with the truth of Scripture. And God saved him from his sin and gave him a burden and a passion to make sure that the church believed the Bible. Now, I wouldn't agree with every single thing that Martin Luther believed, but he and others led the way in getting the church back to what the true doctrine of Jesus Christ and the gospel is. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ according to Scripture, for the glory of God alone. 
And one of the methods that he used to help teach sound doctrine to Christians was music. Martin Luther realized and he understood the great impact that music has in our lives. He understood that what we sing is what we remember and in fact is often who we become. What we sing, the songs that define us, end up defining who we are as people. And so he spent many hours writing hymns, writing songs, examining scripture and writing songs that accurately told the story of God according to his word. You probably know one of those songs, uh, uh, a song that's become fairly well known through the centuries. A mighty fortress is our God. I'm sure you know that song. That song was written by Martin Luther. Luther wrote these songs to help teach people sound doctrine. And music is just as important today in the context of the local church. So a few weeks ago, we began thinking about this idea of singing, this command to sing that the scriptures call us to be people who sing to the Lord. When we sing of God's glory, and we began a few weeks ago thinking about how we sing His glory to ourselves. We ourselves need to be reminded of how glorious God is, and so we sing God's glory for the benefit of ourselves. And last week we saw that we also sing God's glory to our families. The family context is a, is a place where the truths of God are to be taught, and one of the ways that we do that is through song, instilling in the next generation the message of who God is. We want to go to the next uh, next place or people where we want to sing God's glory to, and that is the church. And so today in Psalm chapter 95, we want to talk about singing God's glory to my church, singing God's glory to my church. Psalm chapter 95, we are uh, looking at several different psalms here in this uh, in this series, and we're going to be in chapter 95 of Psalms. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there, and we will read this psalm together, me reading out loud, you following along in your copy of the Word of God. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. If you want to... Just a one-sentence statement of where we're going in this Psalm, chapter 95. It's this, singing together of God's glory both pleases God and helps us obey God's Word. Singing together of God's glory pleases God and helps us 
obey God's word. We're going to walk through this passage maybe a little bit differently than we normally do. Uh, We're going to kind of jump around just a little bit, but also try to stick to the flow of this passage as best we can. I want us to ask a few questions, some, some, some simple questions, some what and who and how and why. Uh, some of these questions and think about singing in the context of the church, the gathering of the church. So first questions that we want to look at are these questions, what and who? Number one, we must sing together to the right God. We must sing together to the right God. The what and the who. What are we to do? We must sing. We must sing. Let me say that one more time. We must sing. You say, must we or just can we? Is it a suggestion? Is it one of many things that we can choose from? One of many ways to praise the Lord? And, and I would say that I'm going to stick with Scripture. And Scripture says we must sing. We are commanded over and over in Scripture to sing. We must sing. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. We find words in this psalm like make a joyful noise twice in verse 1 and then in verse 2. And then at the end of verse 2, we are to make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. It's very clear that we are to sing. We're commanded to sing. And so if you or I choose not to sing, then we would be in disobedience to God. If we choose not to sing, we are disobeying God. And I say that loudly, one, because my ear is stopped up and I can't tell how loud I'm talking this morning, okay? So I apologize. But also, because some people choose not to sing. And if you don't hear anything else that I say today, just know that if you choose not to sing, you are disobeying The word of God. But not only do we sing, we sing together. We must sing together. We must sing together. Notice the let us phrases here in this passage. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us come into his presence. Let us make a joyful noise. Skip on down to verse eight. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We are to sing together. In fact, we are to sing not only together, but we are to sing to one another. One of my favorite passages about singing in God's word isn't even in the Old Testament where we find lots of words about singing and instructions about singing. But it's in the New Testament. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says this in chapter five of Ephesians, chapter five, verse 18. He said, excuse me, verse 19, he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. He says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. We are to sing to one another. Now, maybe he meant that we should sit down across from one another and I sing a song to you and then you sing a song to me. Um, Maybe. I don't think that's exactly what he's talking about. As the church gathers together to sing, and we lift up our voices, and I look around as I'm singing, and I see my brothers and sisters in Christ singing, I am encouraged 
And we'll talk about this even more as we walk through this passage. But I'm encouraged in my own walk with the Lord as I see you singing. And so in that sense, while we are singing to God, ultimately, in, in a sense, we're singing to one another. In other words, we benefit by hearing one another sing. We benefit by hearing one another sing. And we'll talk about some of those benefits in a few minutes. That, that leads to some practical things when it comes to singing in the context of the church. I think it's okay sometimes for us to close our eyes and, 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 and consider who God is. And sometimes that helps just kind of fix our minds on, on the Lord for just a moment. But you know what else is a healthy way to sing? With your eyes open, looking around at people. I know your neighbor, whoever sits next to you on Sunday mornings, might think that's a little strange. But I would encourage you, when you sing, look to the side. Look to the side. I love looking around. I'm so encouraged when I see my brothers and sisters in Christ singing. It helps me continue to walk with the Lord. That's why we don't turn all the lights off and just shine some spotlights up on the stage when we sing. Because it's not a concert. It's not a performance. We want all the lights up so that we can look around and we can together be encouraged by one another singing. When you sing, look and listen because we are to sing together. But also, when we sing together, we have to make sure that we're singing to the right God. When we sing together, we make sure we're singing to the right God. Notice what the, this psalm, psalmist says. He says, let us sing to the Lord. That word Lord is really the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the name of God. The Jews were afraid to speak the name of God. Some of you know this. You know this from your Bible study. They were, they were, they were afraid to speak the name of God. And, and so instead of actually saying his name, Yahweh, they would say, Lord. Uh, but if you notice in your Bible, it's probably in all caps. And that means that the Hebrew word behind that word, Lord, is really the, the letters of God's revealed name. Yahweh, I am who I say I am. Remember, remember uh, the context in which this is being written. It's being written where the nation of Israel lives among peoples all around them that worship all of these false gods. And so they have to constantly be reminded, don't just sing, don't just sing together, but make sure you sing to the one True God, he is the only one worthy of worship. The Lord, three times in this passage, is mentioned by name. Are there many gods? Well, yes, in one sense. No, I'm not a polytheist. I don't actually believe there are many real gods, but there are lots and lots of gods. There are lots and lots of false gods in our world. There are lots and lots of gods who would want to steal the glory from the one true God. You know who one of the most dangerous glory stealers is? You and me. You and me. And so when we sing, we must make sure that we are singing to the one true God. This is a reminder of two things that we must remember are important. It's the importance of singing, number one, songs that tell the truth about God. We want to make sure that when we sing songs, those songs are speaking accurately about who God is. Unfortunately, there are many songs that are labeled as Christian songs today that I don't think the writers of those psalms or songs had their Bibles open when they wrote those lyrics. And so we want to make sure that when we sing songs, that they actually are speaking the truth about who God is, that they are biblically 
accurate. So we want to think carefully about what we sing. Even in Colossians, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church there, and he puts singing in the context of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He tells the church, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And right after that, he says, and sing to one another. The same thing he said to the church in Ephesus. But it's in the context of the word of God dwelling in us richly. But it's not only uh, does it not it not only reminds us of the importance of singing songs that tell the truth about God, but also the importance of singing for the glory of God and not ourselves. See, if we're not careful, we can make singing about me, about us, about who I am, about how well I sing or even about how poorly I sing. Do you know both of those? If I'm so fixed on how good I can sing, which I don't really struggle with that, by the way, because I can't sing that well. But but if I could sing really well and I thought, man, I'm just a great singer and man, I'm just singing. I love hearing myself sing. You know what? I am now the center of attention. And so now I am worshiping me. But by the same token, if I stand there and say, well, I can't sing good, and so I'm not going to sing, and all I think about is how poorly I can sing, then who's the center of attention in my heart in that moment? Me. Either way, I've made myself out to be the God in that moment, but I am not, and you are not. There is one true God, and He is worthy of the glory. And so we make sure that we sing for the glory of God and not ourselves. We think carefully about what we sing, and we think carefully about why we sing? Who are you seeking to draw attention to when you open your mouth in praise? Who are you trying to draw attention to? Hopefully it is the one true God. But then this question of how. How do we sing? How do we sing? So number two today, we must sing together with the right attitude. We need to make sure we're singing to the right God, to the one true God, to the only God. But we also want to sing together with the right attitude. There are three, three, um, three attitudes that I think this psalm uh, helps us uh, understand are the backdrop of or the heart behind singing that brings honor and glory to God. The first of these attitudes is the attitude of joy. Twice here we find this phrase, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. We must sing together with joy in our hearts. I'm afraid that so often when we sing, we may open our mouths and words may come out, but there's no joy there. Maybe, maybe it's just that we think that something that's unimportant, just have to do this to get to the next part of the worship service. And it'd really be better if we just cut this out. Maybe there's circumstances in our lives that make it difficult in that moment to have joy. But let me ask you a question. Anybody's birthday in here today? I'm not going to make you do anything. Anybody's birthday? Anybody have a birthday this weekend? Anybody? Anybody want it to be your birthday today? Anybody have a birthday coming up this week? Anybody? Do what? Yeah. Where's Shannon? Right there. Oh, I need, I need, I need somebody that I can look at right here. Who? Y'all are scared. Who got a birthday in February? Who's got a birthday in February? 
October. There we go. That's the closest yet. That's the closest. We got. We got to take her. We got to take her. All right. Uh oh. Uh oh. You just got outdone. Okay. Here we go. Since you, since you, since you were willing to come and come and 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 all attention be drawn to you for just a second. Thank you so much. All right. I I want to I want to sing you happy birthday. Was it yesterday? Was your birthday? Wow. Okay. All right. I'm gonna. I'll, do you mind if I sing you happy birthday? Happy birthday to you, to you, Miss Shirley. Happy birthday to you. All right. You feel loved and appreciated, don't you? Okay. <laughs> she said I should hear Wayne's version. <laughs> but but Miss Shirley, wouldn't it have made you feel a little more appreciated and loved if I had of saying that like this? Happy birthday to you, with a smile on my face, singing all the words and singing out loud, even if I sound terrible, which I feel like I sound awful today. Like I said, ears stopped up and everything else. Thank you. You don't have to. You don't have to stand anymore. Thank you so much. You think we should? Should we? All right. Hey, let's let's sing, okay? But let's sing it in a way that makes her feel loved and appreciated. You ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. All right, I'm done with you, okay? You're not done with me? Amen. I was hoping you were going to be here because I was hope I knew it was your birthday yesterday, and that's why I was hoping you would. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That, mean, that means something. The second way, not the first way I sang. Let me ask you a question. You think God feels loved? And appreciated when we sing. Shout to the Lord, earth, let us sing. Power, majesty, to the king. You see what I'm saying? Do you think God feels loved and appreciated when we sing that way? No. But how often do we do that? Now, now there's a, there's a legit, maybe, reason. Uh, but it's not legit. But maybe you think it is. Maybe you say, listen, you don't know what's going on in my heart and life right now. I mean, I am struggling. There's, there's this that's happened. There's this that happens. There's this that happened. Even just yesterday, even this morning, I got this phone call from this family member, and my heart is heavy. How can I sing with joy? I just want to remind you for a second that joy is not based on your earthly circumstances, but on your heavenly citizenship. Joy is not based on your earthly circumstances, but on your heavenly citizenship. Now think about a book in the Bible where the whole theme is really joy. You probably know which book it is, the book of Philippians. And right there at the end of chapter 3, probably one of the key verses in that, in that book, though I think it's often um, overlooked, Paul says in the midst of this book where he's talking about all the struggles that he's going through, he's in prison while he's writing Philippians. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And that made all the difference for him. No matter what he's going through, he could sing with joy 
Remembering, remembering our heavenly citizenship makes us want to sing with joy to the one who purchased our citizenship. That is the rock of our salvation there in verse 1. Jesus has come and he has paid the price for our sins. And no circumstance in life can take that away from us. And that is the thing that fills us with joy. And so even through the pain and the tears, we can sing with joy. One of the most encouraging things to me, not as a pastor just per se, but even just as a Christian, as someone just trying to follow the Lord with my life, trying to live for his honor and glory day in and day out, is when I come and gather here with our church family and I see one of you who I know has something difficult going on in your life. Something even even so much as someone who's lost a loved one very recently. Open up your mouth and through the tears, sing about the goodness and faithfulness of God. Do you know how much that encourages me? Not just as your pastor, but as a brother in Christ. That I look at you when you do that and I say, man, God, I want to do like that when I walk through that circumstance that that brother or sister is walking through right now. That brings honor and glory to the Lord. We sing with joy. The second attitude, and I'm going to say these next two very quickly, is thankfulness. Thankfulness. Notice that the psalmist says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. We come singing about how good and awesome God is thanking him he is our sure salvation and he gives us continual care he's the rock of our salvation and as we will see in verses six and seven he is a shepherd for us he he shepherds us well and so we can thank god for that no matter what's going on in our lives we can have thankfulness that we have salvation and that god is continuing to care for us and the third attitude is the attitude of humility we see this in verses six and seven. O come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he who is the he? It is the Lord. He is our God and we are the people of his passion, the sheep of his hand. We humble ourselves. It is the posture of worship there in verse six. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He is the shepherd. We are the sheep getting that order right putting ourselves in the right place. We are submitting ourselves to him and his authority. He is the king. We are not. And so we come worshiping him, singing songs with joy, with thankfulness, and with humility. And these attitudes help us do what we said we needed to do uh, just a few minutes ago, sing to the right God. We remember that he is God and we are not. But how do we cultivate these attitudes for singing? How do we cultivate them? Well, I would say by remembering that God is greater than we often give him credit for. And we are worse than we often see ourselves to be. How do we cultivate this joy and thankfulness and then that difficult attitude of humility? It's by remembering that God is far greater than we often give him credit for. And we are far worse than we often see ourselves to be. This is the answer to the question, why? Number three. We must sing together from the right motivation. We must sing together from the right motivation. And let me give you two motivations for singing together the glory of God. The first is this, that the Lord is worthy of it. The Lord, Yahweh, is worthy of all glory. Notice how the psalmist goes on after he commands us to, to praise. He says the Lord is a great God. 
He is a great king above all gods. And then he says that he is the creator in verses four and five. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Don't you think that the creator is worthy for his creation to give him praise? But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse six and says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. God is a great God. He is a great king. He is the almighty creator and he is our maker there in that context. That maker, that word, that title for God is not specifically talking about him creating us, but it's talking about him creating us as a people, him gathering us together. Here, gathering Israel together as his people, us today, gathering his church. He gathers us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He is worthy of worship. And verse 7, he is our shepherd. We are his sheep. He leads us. He guides us. He feeds us. He cares for us. He protects us. Don't tell me that the Lord is not worthy of all the worship we could ever give to him. He is a great God. He is a great King. He is Creator. He is our Maker. The Maker of the church, of the people of God. And He is our faithful Shepherd. The Shepherd leads and the sheep follow. But you know, you know, just like I know. You know your heart. I know my heart. Even though He's the Shepherd and we're the sheep. And the Shepherd are supposed to follow the sheep. Sheep are stubborn, and we are the stubbornness. I don't even know if that's a word, but we're the stubbornness of all sheep. We are. We are. Us humans, us followers of Christ, we are stubborn sheep, and we are prone to wonder rather than to follow the shepherd. Our hearts naturally turn from God instead of to God. We are sheep that are prone to wander. And so the second reason that our second motivation why we need to sing, not only because the Lord is worthy of it, but because our hearts need it. Our hearts need it desperately. Why do we need to sing together, to hear one another sing together the glories of God? It's to help us respond appropriately to God's word. The rest of this psalm, the the psalmist kind of takes a turn and he begins to look back at an event that happened in the life of the Israelites, in the life and the history of this people. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The whole psalm, he has been talking about how we as God's people must sing the glories of God. And then he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Does the psalmist know something that maybe we don't? Yeah, he knows that our hearts get hard very easily. And in fact, singing can soften our hearts to the things of God. He recounts this story. He says, don't harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness. This is a story that takes us back to Exodus chapter 17. And we find these words. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. So God is speaking to them. He's commanding them, go here and then go here. They've left Egypt. They're going to Mount Sinai and they are to follow his voice. They are to follow his word. 
But then something happens. There's no water for the people to drink. And therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. That's how hard in the hearts of the Israelites have become. Just a few days after God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And you know the story. God tells Moses to go and and strike a rock. God would stand before them on the rock and out of it would come water. That's exactly what happened. God blessed the people in the midst of their sin. But verse 7 says, And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Meribah and Massah mean quarreling and testing. And so here is what the psalmist is saying. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at quarreling, as on the day at testing in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they have seen my work. Say, how in the world could this people who they just were in slavery crying out to God for help? He comes in and miraculously rescues them out of slavery. They didn't have to lift a finger. He did it all. I mean, he even parted the waters in the Red Sea so they could walk across on dry ground. And a few days later, they're saying, God, we don't want to listen to you. God, you're not a good God. God, we're not going to follow your commandments. How in the world could they do they do that? Same way that you and I, people who have been rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ and know how much God has loved us and the price that he has paid to save us from our sin can turn right around and live in disobedience to the Lord. To live in disobedience to his commands that he's given us in Scripture. To neglect gathering together with the church which he has commanded us to do. To not speak upbuilding and wholesome words which he has commanded us to do. To not guard our hearts and our eyes from things that we shouldn't be taking in. We do the same thing. And so here's what the psalmist is saying. Not only does it bring God glory and honor when we sing, but it protects us. It protects our hearts. Singing together protects you and me from having hearts that are hard and disobedient. Singing together keeps our naturally hard hearts softened towards God's word. And singing together keeps our naturally disobedient hearts hearts obedient to God's word. Israel quickly forgot about the saving work of God and so can we. But singing can help us remember love the words to the song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I love singing those words because I know they're so true that my heart is prone to wonder. And when we sing together, it helps keep us from unbelief. In fact, the writer of Hebrews went back and quoted Psalm chapter 95 to these Christians. And he said this, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes 
What we just read at the end of Psalm chapter 95. And then he says in verse 12 of chapter 3 of Hebrews, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Brothers and sisters, you and I can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But singing together, lifting our voices and praise and adoration to God can help protect us from that. Let me share with you just a couple of practical takeaways for us as we gather each Sunday and part, one of the main parts of our gathering together is and should be singing songs of praise to God, but also to one another. A couple of practical takeaways for us today. The primary form, number one, the primary form of singing in the church should be congregational singing. That means where we as the congregation all sing together. That's the primary form. It's okay occasionally for one or two people to sing, but what should be happening on a regular basis, the one thing that we could never cut out is the congregation singing together. One pastor said it this way, singing in church should be about the church singing, congregational singing. Perhaps choirs and soloists can be carefully used to call the church to respond. And musical performances outside the gathered church are wonderful, but God has given music to the gathered church so that the people together can own, affirm, rejoice in, and unite around God's word. Far better than the sweet harmonies of a few trained singers is the rough and hail sound of pardoned criminals delighting with one voice in their Savior. The most beautiful instrument in any Christian service is the sound of the congregation singing. I agree wholeheartedly. Another practical takeaway is that God's word is the standard for the songs that we sing. God's word is the standard for the songs that we sing. I'm very thankful for um, our director of music, Lori, and the time and effort and energy that she pours into behind the scenes, selecting songs for us to sing on Sunday mornings when we gather together, making sure that we sing songs that are faithful to Scripture. Do you know that there's been songs that have been popular that we have said together, we've said, we're not singing those songs. We're not singing that song, even though it's the number one song in Christian music today. And it's being sung through churches all around us. I don't necessarily mean right here in Abbeville. I just mean around us in our society today. And we said, we're not singing that song. It might have a a fun beat to it. And 90% of the words might be accurate. But here are some words that are not faithful to Scripture. And so we're not going to sing that song. Put time and energy to making sure that we sing songs that accurately reflect true biblical doctrine. I mean, sometimes we choose not to sing songs that are popular. The third takeaway is this. And I already said this, and so I'm not going to um, 
talk about it anymore, but joyfulness should characterize our singing. I'm going to be honest with you. I look around sometimes on Sundays, and I see joy in some people's hearts and the way that they're singing. And other people, I don't know if there's a joy bone in their body. I don't know any other way to put it. I mean, it looks like their dog got run over and they lost their job and they spilt their cereal all in the same morning, right before they got to church. Okay? And fourth takeaway, God-honoring congregational singing on Sunday begins with personal and family singing on Monday. You see, I think that if we would sing the glory of God to ourselves and our families all throughout the week, when we got in here on Sunday morning, our hearts would be overflowing, our voices would be warmed up, and we would be excited to hear more than just myself and maybe my family singing. I'm tired of them singing. I'm ready to hear everybody sing, right? It's like practicing all week for a big game and then coming together and you're ready and you get to, you get, to get in there with your team and do what you've been working on all week. Maybe we don't sing well on Sunday morning because we don't sing any other time during the week. If you'll hang with me for a couple more minutes. A couple more minutes. I really really want to make this as practical as I can, okay? Singing is a practical thing, and I want us to be a church that, man, the, the, the windows are rattling on Sunday mornings. Not because we turn the volume to the music up real loud, but because our voices are just declaring the glories of God. So let me give, let, let, let me give just a couple responses to the excuses we make to not sing, and then we'll, then we'll be done, okay? All right? Because I know some of you got some excuses. Sometimes I have these excuses as well. So if I can just, if I can just try to graciously address a few of these excuses, and then we will wrap up. Excuse number one, I don't like to sing. I know that I know that's, a, that's an excuse. And I know that the, the music isn't everybody's just. I know some people are just super gifted at it. And, man, they, just, they, just, they, could, they could sing and, or play instruments or do music all the time. And that's just who they are. And that's awesome. I'm so glad that God has gifted some people uh, to do that. We need those folks. But not liking to do something that God has called us to do is not an excuse not to do it. Especially when it's beneficial to us. I used to not like eating vegetables, but my mama knew that they were good for me, so she made me do it. And you know what? Over time, I started to like vegetables. It was amazing. Maybe you say, I don't like to sing. I can almost guarantee that if you will sing, glory, sing the glories of God, open up your mouth, and just make yourself do it, over time, you will begin to enjoy. I'm not saying, saying you'll ever sing great. I'm just saying you will begin to enjoy singing the glories of God. When you sing, think, I am pleasing God and I am helping myself be obedient to his word. Excuse number two, I can't sing well. I can't sing well. I'm not, I'm not good at it. If you, when I open my mouth, if you heard what comes out of my mouth, you would tell me, oh, just we don't, we don't need you to sing. You just leave that to the, to the ones that can. Well... First off, you say, I can't sing. If you can speak, you can sing. You say, well, I can't sing well. Well, we're never commanded in God's word to sing well. We're never commanded 
what does it say? Make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise. Some of our noises are pleasing to the ear, and some of our noises are somewhat horrific. But if there's joy in our hearts, the Bible says that God is pleased. Listen, the goal of congregational singing is not to impress others, but to glorify God and encourage others by joyfully singing the truth about God. I don't look at, I don't look at one of you that is singing the glories of God. And, 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 and let's go back to that, um, that instance that I was talking about earlier, where I see someone who's just struggling with something. And, and, uh, and maybe, maybe it's the loss of a loved one in their life. And there are tears coming down their eyes on Sunday morning, but they are, they are singing about how much they love the Lord. You know what? I don't go, I wish I could be closer to that person and hear how well they're singing to know whether or not I can be encouraged by their singing. I don't care how well or how poorly they're singing in that moment. I am encouraged in my walk with the Lord. And I know that God is honored and glorified. Number three. I don't feel like it today. I don't feel like it today. Well, worship and singing is a response to revelation, not to our circumstances. That's why we start the service with scripture reading. I am responding in worship not to my circumstances, but I am responding to who God is. And so regardless of my circumstances, I can find a reason to sing praise to the Lord in His Word. You know, God often calls us to do things that we don't feel like doing. I don't always, let me be honest with you, I don't always feel like serving my wife. But God has commanded me to love her like Christ loved the church. And there was never a moment when Jesus does not serve his church. And so I'm to serve my wife, even with the days that I don't feel like it. I don't always feel like being patient with my kids. But I can't say, God, I don't feel like being patient with my kids today, so I'm just going to be impatient with them and yell at them all day. I can't, that's not a good excuse. I don't always feel like reading my Bible. I don't. There's some times where I just don't feel like reading it. But I can't say, God, I don't feel like spending time in your word. So I'm not going to do it. I'll wait till I feel like it. That's a terrible excuse. Why then would I say, well, I don't feel like singing today when God has commanded it. Maybe you have this excuse, number four. It's not that important. I said this week one of this series. I'm going to say it one more time. 400 references in the Bible to singing, at least 50 commands to sing. God himself sings. Zephaniah says that God sings over us. That's the worst excuse that you could give, that it's not that important. Read your Bible. It is. Final excuse. And this is only addressed to some of you in here. Singing is not manly. So now you know who I'm talking to. And I know this is a reason that some men don't sing because I've heard this excuse in the past week. Well, I'm not going to sing because it's not, it's not, guys don't do that. It's not manly to sing. Can I just, can I just get on my soapbox for just a second? Okay, I promise I won't stay long. Let me describe this man to you for a second. He killed lions and bears with his bare hands. He walked up to a giant when nobody else would and slew him. 
he reigned as one of the greatest kings of a kingdom, of an earthly kingdom that's ever existed. He wasn't allowed to build the temple to God because he had killed so many people in battle. He was a war hero. And he wrote most of the songs that we have in the Bible. When he wasn't out killing animals and killing the enemy, he was singing songs of praise to God. His name is King David. Don't tell me that singing is not manly. Let me tell you about one other man. He was a carpenter. He worked with his hands for about 30 years, save a few when he was just a little baby. And then he walked into a temple and he drove out the money changers with a whip. And then he went to a cross and he let people put nails in his hands and through his feet. After they whipped him and spit on him and put a crown of thorns on his head. And he opened not his mouth. Right before that night, Scripture says that Jesus, when they finished the Last Supper, sang a song with his disciples. And then they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Don't tell me that singing is not manly. A great witness to me as a kid was going to associational men's rallies where a whole room of men were loudly singing praises to God. I want to tell you, I still remember that as a child. As a young boy, a whole room filled with the sound of men's voices singing deeply the praises of God. And I think that's one thing that helped me as a young boy to want to trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and live for His glory and honor. Men, if you can lift your voice to celebrate a score or a win or a kill or a catch, if you can lift your voice to celebrate those things, then you can lift your voice to celebrate Jesus, the one who died for your sin and conquered death on your behalf. Listen, truly Jesus is who we sing to. The saving work of Jesus is what we sing about. The sustaining grace of Jesus is how we keep singing through the storms of life. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still in all life's ebbs and flows. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. Keeps me singing as I go. We sing about the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you will sing. The gospel compels us to sing the glory of God. Some modern day hymn writers said this. And it's stuck in my mind. Our singing betrays the truth about us. For better and for worse. Our singing betrays the truth about us for better and for worse. So let me close with this question. What does your singing on Sundays when you're gathered with your church family betray about you? A heart overflowing with the love of Jesus, changed and saved and filled by the Spirit of Christ, or a heart hardened to the things of God, cold and dead, unchanged and unsatisfied? What does your singing betray about your heart? Let's pray. Father, 
would you impress these truths into our hearts today? Father, help us to sing for your glory. Help us to sing together. Help us to sing to one another. Father, help us to lift our voices week in and week out when we gather here on the Lord's day. Father, I pray that you feel loved and appreciated in the way that we sing. As we seek to sing songs that are biblically accurate, that say the right things about you, but also as we sing with hearts overflowing with joy and thankfulness and humility that You would love us enough to save us. Father, be honored in our singing. Help us to grow as a church in our singing. Father, help us to be obedient to Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.